Hello and welcome to Not Couple Goals, the podcast where we talk about the best and let's face it worst in romantic thriller cinema. I'm Allie Nelson here with my co-host Tyler McCarthy and this week just in time for the series premiere on uh, Paramount Plus I believe we are doing the seminal romantic thriller Fatal Attraction starring Michael Douglas, Glenn Close, Anne Archer, Ellen Latson, directed by Adrian Lin, and written by James Dearden. That's right. It's an, It came out in 1987, but we're talking about it now. And, There's uh, a show, people. It's it, coming. That's right. Uh, and so this is going to serve as your spoiler alert. If for some reason you like romantic thrillers, but you have not seen the 1987 romantic thriller classic, Fatal Attraction, you should pause right here, go and watch it. I think you should maybe even watch it twice, then come back and listen to us talk about it. But chances are you have had this spoiled for you. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and But we know nothing about the series yet because it comes out tomorrow. Uh, three days, I think. Three days. It comes out on the 30th. Yes. Yes. Either way. Uh, yeah, let's get into it. Okay, great. So th- we are not alone to talk about this wonderful romantic thriller, Fatal, Fatal Attraction. No, we've got great guests, guests who will be very familiar if you've listened to past episodes. That's right. They are repeat guests. Um, we had them, one of them on for our Out of, Out of Sight episode and one of them on for our Dead Calm episode. So you should go back and listen to those. But listen to this one first, um, but then go back and listen <laughs> to the other ones. Uh, they host the Ladies Get Action podcast, yeah. which is a great podcast where these ladies talk about action movies. They are Rebecca Ringley and Rin Olson. Woo! Yeah. Hi. Hello. So happy to be back. Welcome back. That was Rebecca followed by Rin. So if you're if you're playing the whose voice is that game at home. <laughs> oh, that is always hard. I do. Yeah. Always, I'm like, I don't know who is who. So let's have like Rin, can you give us your best falsetto? That'll help the people at home really know. Oh, yeah. Um <laughs> that was great. Perfect. <laughs> I was gonna say I could do my version of of dead calm in an australian accent which would be terrible Ooh. but you know what do you, what do you mean your version of dead calm like you would just do the whole movie in an australian <laughs> I was thinking, like a one woman show no i was thinking like saying the title but um ah. that's fine well now you have to right did calm yeah oh that was good that was really good <laughs> oh this is already the best episode yeah. we're starting off great <laughs> Anytime uh, we get accents in there early, it's it's a good sign. I yeah. agree. We should do just an all accent episode. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not this sure. One. Yeah, just know what's prepared. Um, so normally our first segment uh on the show is we ask our guests what their relationship to romantic thrillers is. But as we mentioned, Rebecca and Rin are repeat customers. So if you're curious about their relationship to romantic thrillers, we encourage you to go back and listen to Dead Calm and Out of Sight, respectively. But since we've got such a seminal movie on our hands i'm more excited to dive into our actually first segment which is going to be everyone's relationship to fatal attraction um i'll go first because it's quick you showed it to me a few years ago because i had never seen it and yeah it's a cuckoo bananas movie about a woman who really won't take no for an answer as ali mentioned before (laughs) we started recording but uh for our more romantic thriller savvy uh guests and my wife 
let's start with uh, you, Rebecca. Like, what what is your relationship to Fatal Attraction? Well, it's funny because like you, Tyler, I had never seen it before a couple of years ago. I sat down and watched it with a girlfriend and I came away with a very different take than I had tonight watching it again. Oh, my first viewing, I, that was my hot take. I was like, oh, I'm 100% on her side. Like I get everything she's doing and I think it's justified. And I think that he's the real villain for X, Y, and Z. And then rewatching it, I came away feeling totally different this time. So maybe I had a couple of drinks last time, (laughs) phone at key moments. I'm not sure, but my mind has been changed. Um, Maybe it was like very at the height of me too. And you were just like, ah, men, no. You know, it actually definitely was. And a big part of uh, my viewing of things is based around misandry. So possible that was part of what was going on. But uh, but yeah, I have a different take this time. I'm excited to get into it. Now now you blame the little girl. It's all her fault. You know what? That's exactly where I was going with it. It is her fault. Uh, Rin, how about you? So I had actually never seen this movie until today, although Whoa. obviously I've heard oh, about it in a couple of years love to hear ago. that. Yeah, it was. And so there's so much I want to talk about. Um, I, but a couple of years ago, I read an article that was basically Rebecca's hot take where it's like, she is not the villain. He is. And I kind of went in expecting to have that opinion, even though like, I had heard about certain parts of the movie and um, so I, I just wasn't sure what to expect, but man, the, I really, this, I, this is a phenomenal movie, although it's not necessarily super enjoyable. <laughs> um, and just, I was really struck by like the, the filmmaking and the acting and just all of the pieces coming together to create this movie, which is why it's a classic. So I'm so excited to dive in, but I, came away from it just being very very sad um, yeah yeah it's not, a, so, it's not a feel good no i sort of thought it would be more salacious oh yeah, yeah. i can see that because i feel like with how like it is it's it's such a big movie in pop culture it's so like parodied and referenced so often that i can see where you'd be like this is gonna be so fun and it's like oh no this is a legit like serious movie yeah <laughs> i that- think it's also I, I tend to mix up basic instinct and fatal attraction because I haven't, mm. I hadn't, until this moment, I hadn't seen either one. So now we're good. But I think I always think it's going to be more like basic instinct, which is probably also not super salacious, but who knows? Now, basic instinct is pretty salacious. Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen basic instinct. Oh, it's like, it's like dirty. Yeah. It, it's like kind <laughs> of a, and because she, she's also like an erotic thriller writer, like Sharon Stone's character in it. So it like, that definitely has that salacious vibe all the way through. Oh, interesting. Hi, I'm Alex Marcus, podcasting director for thepopbreak.com. I'm Bill Bodkin, Pop Break's editor-in-chief. And I'm TV columnist Josh Sarnecki. And together, we host TV Break! Whether you are looking for a free-willing discussion on the latest Disney Plus release, an update on the latest season of Bake Off, or what's happening in the tumultuous world of streaming, stop on by the Pop Break TV podcast feed on the first Monday of every month to join in on the fun. Josh didn't get a second line. I'm sorry, Josh. My name is Bill Bodkin, editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. 
Join me on the third Thursday of every month as I dive deep into the iconic music scene of Asbury Park, New Jersey, on my new podcast, Anchored in Asbury. Every month, I sit down with my friends, colleagues, and some of the most exciting names in the Asbury music scene to talk about their latest works, most personal inspirations, and their connection to the city that Bruce built. Follow the show on the Pop Break Today podcast feed on your favorite podcast platform. How about you, Allie? What was your, what was your, what's your experience with Fatal Attraction? Uh, my mom rented this for us to watch when I was a kid. Great movie to watch. Yeah, with I don't right. know why that was, she used to rent inappropriate movies for us all the time because I think she would want to watch it and then she would like in her head be like, oh, this is a good movie. Allie will like this movie, but forget like how dirty movies were. And so I remember seeing it and being like this, I think I was like 10 being like, this movie's pretty dirty. 10 <laughs> uh, with your mother watching Michael Douglas put yeah. an entire breast in his mouth. I think we, fa- we, I think I was still at the age of fast forwarding. So I think we fast forwarded because I remember when I watched it as an adult being like, oh, these are really dirty, like not remembering how dirty it got. So I'm pretty sure we fast forwarded. And so it was just in fast motion that okay. I saw all of that happening. Um, So yeah, I mean, I definitely saw it as a kid and like knew what it was about. And I, I'll say like, this is like one of my favorite romantic. I think it's one of the movies that launched my love of romantic thrillers partially just because I really love Glenn Close. I feel like Glenn Close oh, yeah. is just, she's fantastic in everything you see her in. And it's hard to not be on her side. I feel like that's also part of why everybody kind of gets on her side or like there has been like a big boost of women being on her side because she's so good that you're just like, well, I love you though. Like you're Glenn Close and like everything you play is so justified. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he... totally great. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say he, it does. The whole movie is like, the only reason you're rooting for Michael Douglas at all, it seems, is because he's so screwed. He fucked up so bad that you kind of want to see him get out of it a little bit. Like, not not for any other reason than, like, he's just so screwed by the time. I mean, I feel like you're root- there's a difference between somebody getting, like, karma and somebody getting, like, their their family is now in danger. Like, I think yeah. that's why you're you're kind of rooting for him to get out of it. Like, you're like you're kind of rooting for him to get his comeuppance and for his wife to find out, but you're not rooting for him to be like murdered or like his family to be hurt. Well, before we dive too much deeper into this, because we're already pulling at threads. I really want to unravel. I'm just going to give our listeners who may need a refresher on fatal attraction, uh, a brief recap of what this movie is about. And I mean, brief, normally I try to write these out a little bit, but like it's fatal attraction. Uh, The story is pretty simple. It opens with Michael Douglas He's a family man, adorable daughter, adorable dog, a beautiful wife who cares deeply about him, does things for him. The family goes away for a weekend upstate because they're looking for houses. He stays back because he's got a work meeting. That work meeting involves Glenn Close's character, Alex something or other, Forrest. Uh, They end up having a flirtation. He is a, quote, naughty boy, and they end up spending the weekend together having a full-on affair. Uh, On Sunday, when the big weekend is supposed to be over and his family's coming back to town, Glenn Close's character starts to show signs that, hey, this wasn't just a one-weekend fling to me, I want more. When he says no, she slits her wrists and forces him to kind of acknowledge that, stay with her, care about her a little more. And then she continues to just escalate and escalate and try to remain in his life 
including revealing to him that she is pregnant, which I think is legit. It's not a lie. Yeah, like, he calls is, the doctor. She is indeed pregnant. So things escalate. He wants nothing to do with her. She obviously feels she's owed something from him, deserves to be in his life. And things eventually escalate to the point where he moves his family out of New York City. She follows them. She boils their pet rabbit in a pot and briefly kidnaps the daughter and takes her on an hour and 15 minute drive to Coney Island for the day. (laughs) And then an hour and 15 minute drive back. Depending on traffic. Depending on traffic, sure. Uh, And then that leads Michael Douglas to have a more violent confrontation with her, which apparently makes Glenn Close snap. I think it's implied that she somehow- I, th- I think she snapped before this. <laughs> but this is a new level. She somehow walks, all, or it's it's implied that she walked all the way to Bedford, New York from Manhattan. I think it's implied she walked. They showed her like dirty feet and like- I think she may have driven without shoes on. Sure. Either way, <laughs> she uh, attacks uh, Michael Douglas's wife, who at this point knows everything- uh, Michael Douglas bursts into the steamy bathroom to save her, ends up drowning Glenn Close, and then his wife fires the finishing bl- the finishing shot from their classic home revolver. <laughs> and that's the movie. It's a story of a woman's scorn, escalation, and uh, a, a horrible, horrible affair. And that's Fatal Attraction. And I think let's dive right into what you both, what everyone was really talking about, Whose side are you on? Because on the one hand, she boiled a rabbit and kidnapped a child. On another hand, she's just trying to get some acknowledgement as a woman. Like that. <laughs> well, I don't, I wouldn't say she's trying to get some acknowledgement as a woman. I think that he, that's painting all women like this. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I, well, boy, boy, did I get kicked off the feminist hill in a big hurry there. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to be on his side because he does have, like, he, I feel like is too on board for the affair too fast. Like, it's like, we're supposed to kind of be on board because maybe he and his wife are not really having sex because their six-year-old daughter, like, sleeps in the bed with them sometimes and they seem to get interrupted. But, like, he really just, it takes, like, one dinner with Glenn Close for him to be like, yeah, time to bone. And then he just, like, has, like, really raunchy sex with her. And then doesn't establish with her that hey this isn't going to be like an affair this is just like us having sex this one night and then like we good you know so you kind of understand where she's upset like i could understand being upset and scorned and maybe like calling the wife but um other like i she takes it to a different level certainly (laughs) what do you guys think yeah i mean it's sort of it's hard because i'm not really on his side um, I, Ali, as you mentioned earlier, I love Glenn Close. I think she's just a, an amazing actor and it's so much fun to watch her act in this. But in terms of story, this is not just like a woman's scorn. This is a woman who is deeply, deeply unwell. And so the first thing that strikes me is that when she slips her wrists, um, Michael Douglas doesn't call the hospital. He like yeah. bandages her up there and it's sort of like it occurred to me that like the title fatal attraction is actually you know it's fatal for her to be attracted to this man because he has any he like the refusal to take responsibility is just like absurd um so uh, i don't know i mean 
should she have been, you know, harassing the family and like hurting the rabbit? And when you bring a kid into it and also his wife? No. Um, I, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm torn here. <laughs> it's a movie with no heroes for sure, except maybe uh, Anne Archie's character. Yeah, I think the kid wins for me. Um, I flopped again. Like I'm flip-flopping on who I feel the most for. I flopped again and back with her. Um, Cause he, like, like you were saying, Allie, he wanted to have that affair so bad. Like from the second he saw her, I think it was on for him. Like, remember he sees her at the party and he first has a connection with her. Then it's his friend who sloppily hits on her and he approaches her at the bar to what smooth it over or make an introduction or flirt and then it only kind of gets chilled down when his wife calls for him so I feel like he wanted this whole thing you're right he never set terms about like what what this was moving forward um agreed yeah I mean did she go off the rails absolutely but I also get it um, I wasn't hundred percent though, Tyler, I wasn't sure that she was pregnant because I thought it would be super plausible to just have someone else pick up the phone. Same. Well, I guess I think it's implied that she is a hundred percent actually is. Cause he like even says that he talked to the doctor and I think right, after but... that they don't, I think yeah. if they, if she actually were faking it, they would have like had a reveal at some point, you know, like, right. Yeah. Right. The doctor's number is actually your friend. That's true. It wasn't in the when she also she throws up when she's looking at his family through the window and i kind of assumed that was like a fancy uh, thing and her delusion didn't seem such that she like she wasn't trying to mess with him she felt entitled mm -hmm. to his attention his you know his uh like not that she was a gold digger but his money like like the life <laughs> that his wife was given she felt entitled to that because she felt they had a legit attraction the only thing that makes me again it's a movie with no heroes but a little on big air quotes his side is that it's the moment where she slits her wrist that it yeah. becomes kind of a different movie prior to that when they're just getting drinks you're right he is a hundred percent on board for this affair if she said jump all he's gonna say is how high it's actually mm -hmm. interesting in that she's the one who like sits there pondering for a moment like I haven't decided yet. Like, you know, your wife's out of town, you're alone. Like, are you going to be a naughty boy and all of that? So there is something when he has that horrible scene with her that like that Sunday morning where he's like, you knew what this was. There yeah. is an unfortunate truth to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I do always have like, I, whoever's having the affair, like the person that has the partner, I would always put like 85% of the blame on them. But that I will put like 15% on the other person if they're aware that this is an affair because mm -hmm. like you know you're being a bad person. Like don't do that. Like you're ruining some, you're you're messing up somebody else's life. Uh, this what? is just like uh, Scandaval. <laughs> you know? Blame. You know, it's exactly like Scandaval. The blame really should be with Tom, but we're all looking at Raquel to see what she's doing. And what did she know and what is she hiding and, you know, all her manipulations. But I agree with you. Most of the blame should definitely be on the person who's married having the affair if both people are not married. And she was such, uh, like, the, they didn't do a good enough job establishing that, like, he needed something outside his marriage. And I don't think they were trying to. I know there was that scene where, like, the six-year-old is in bed and he thought he was going to get lucky and didn't. But, like, 
She got his suit dry clean. She's reminding him about the leftover oh, spaghetti. She, she's a great wife. She's such a good wife. When he's stressed, she comes upstairs and gives him a back rub and tells him she'll like draw him a bath and get him yeah, brandy. Yeah, she's like, I'm going to give you a brandy and a back rub. And I was like, your wife is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are all points to point to the fact that this wasn't like a, you know, justified however you'd want to think of it, affair. Yeah. That he is in a happy marriage, that he's ignoring his wife. I mean, you see him just listening to whatever is like tape deck instead of playing with his kid in one of the opening scenes he's a you know bad dad as I like to say he's disengaged he's also yeah he's a so like go off that he's a bad dad he's a bad dog dad Mm -hmm. um yes who is unwilling to take responsibility for the people in his life yeah and it's hard because Tyler you mentioned like when when Glenn Close's character sets her wrist it's a different movie and yeah that's where I'm like this it's watching a woman spiral out of control because she has no support system in place. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have the, like the, the things afforded to Michael Douglas basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, it is really manipulative of her to be like, how can I control the situation? Um, but it doesn't take away from the fact that Michael Douglas is doing everything he can to push responsibility away from him, except for at the office. That's the only place where he's like, yeah, I feel confident about this. Right. And don't you think too, it was so telling that when he doesn't call the cops and he just decides to like go around the other room, he was making this decision because he has so many conversations with other lawyers in his life about like the legal ramifications of the disaster he's made. But he's really only interested in that part, not the moral consequences. Yeah. But I feel like yeah. he made a choice there about like, okay, legally it's going to look bad if I take her to the hospital. There's going to be questions. Where, who's this woman? I'll just take care of it myself. And so like the cover-up begins. I, yeah, I couldn't believe that either because I would not have enough confidence in my ability to patch somebody's like suicide attempt. Like no. to be like, oh, okay, like we're good now. Like immediately call an ambulance, make sure that she is actually patched up properly. Don't just be like, I think I can just rip up some bandages and tie it on yeah, her. He's like, good. you're going to call a doctor tomorrow, right? Like, come on, man. That's, he's not taking, he's, he's not 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 only not taking responsibility but he's afraid of the gravity of the situation and he should be yeah the other thing that really struck me about michael douglas's character is how quickly and how comfortably he resorts to violence like at the first turn um or even like if not outright violence then kind of violent acts of like breaking into her apartment um like, that was bonkers to me that he broke it like that, that that was a pretty early on idea like he hadn't tried a lot of other things before being like right no real goal like he was gonna find a notebook that said like step one fake pregnancy like I, I don't he had no goal he said he was gonna try and look for like if she had been with other guys and things like that oh yeah but yeah but oh yeah it was a flimsy excuse did he find something though when he was looking at that paper I didn't understand what he found. He Me found either. he found that. So you you know when he faked the heart attack as a joke, and then she uh-huh. said, "Oh, my father died of a heart attack when I was seven years old. It was in front of in front of me." And then she like crazy laughs and is like, "Just kidding, got you." And he's like, "Oh, got me. I guess that was weird." Um, he found her father's obituary with her father's last name spelled differently than her last name. Like, that was like an error that I found. Oh, really? Yeah. It's supposed to be forced with two R's. And for some reason, her dad's one is spelled wrong. But I digress. Um, Just that's a little bit sloppy of whoever made that. So that was real? That was a he real found, story? Yeah, he found the obituary saying that he died of a heart attack, which implies oh. that he had died the way that she had jokingly said that he had died. 
I like that better. Yeah. yeah. I like that a lot better because that manic laugh, like it felt like, oh, that's such a mean thing to joke about, but I get it. She was like taking it back. Yeah. Whereas he's just an asshole who faked a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I but, oh, go ahead. I was, I was just gonna say that he, I mean, Alex hasn't, you know, she slit her wrists, I think at that point and, but she hasn't, and she's harassing him and, you know, not and threatening to call his wife and all that. But she hasn't done anything like where she threatened his life, whereas he he moves to do that very quickly. What were you going to say, Tyler? Well, I was going to say it seemed, you know, I made the comment earlier that it becomes a different movie. And I, I also worried at points watching this movie that it was just that its whole point was just like, you know, like women be crazy, like at times, you know what I mean? Because it was just after she slits her wrists, it's just about Glenn Close being insane. And every every bit of escalation kind of lets him off the hook a little bit because yeah like yes he cheated on his wife she killed a rabbit like she kidnapped a child like things like that 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 let him off the hook a little bit but i i did think it was interesting that they mentioned i was i was shocked because she seemed like she holds down a, a pretty good job she seems like she's got a nice apartment in a weird part of town like in the meatpacking <laughs> district or something but it's a nice like apartment and he uh she, like she mentions that she works with like wi like a woman who is trying to write a book about an affair that she had with several politicians and it seems like she works with women who deal a lot with guys like michael douglas which does it doesn't justify anything but it explains her short fuse when it comes to her tolerance for his particular brand of rich guy bullshit uh, that I thought, like I hadn't really considered on my first watch, but this time around I was like, okay, she is acting on behalf of, I guess, a lot of women's stories right now. When she says, I will not be ignored, she realizes she's, or she's afraid of being one of the women she works with or that kind of thing. I see. I think at the beginning when she, you know, was calling him incessantly and stuff, it would be easy to be like, okay, well, she was, calling him that many times because she's pregnant like she he wouldn't yeah. take her calls she didn't tell him that she was pregnant so like you it's not full-on crazy like the idea that she would be contacting him that much to tell him about the pregnancy she gets like crazy when she tells him like i love you and is like okay like you can't like you don't know him like that's you're that's where you are like oh okay no no thanks um, but before that, I mean, I am like, you're, you're pushing it, but you're pregnant. So I, I can justify some of that, like, you know, the, the avidness of like yeah. constantly contacting him and stuff like that. Um, something I wanted to ask was for me, I kept writing why him, like, she's clearly not a virgin. <laughs> this isn't the first time that she's yeah. like had sex. So <laughs> what is it about? Like, and she clearly could not have done this to every guy she had sex with because she wouldn't have this good job or this good apartment. She like, said she canceled a date the night, like, yeah. they hooked up. Like, she she doesn't have trouble meeting men. So it seems like, but the, so do, when we, we did the movie A Perfect Murder, which stars Michael Douglas, and we ended up in a debate with our guest Mallory about it's the Zaddy debate. So she was team Zaddy, Michael Douglas. Like she thought he was sexy. She thought he was a Zaddy. I am definitely full on. I find Michael Douglas repulsive. I do not. I think he's so unattractive. I don't know how he got Catherine Zeta-Jones. I think he's a really good actor, oh. but I don't 
like he's like such a lead in all of these romantic thrillers and i'm always like why are these women so attracted to him so so we'll pose that to you when you think of michael douglas do you picture a shirtless man who like on the bow of a ship hair blowing in the breeze or do you picture someone accosting you and asking you three questions before you can cross his bridge well zaddy or not basically (laughs) zaddy or not i think for me not zaddy for becca um not i just think about this the the shot of him strangling and drowning Glenn Close where he's so sweaty and it's like his teeth look bad and he just looks like awful. I'm like, oh, that's what he would look like having sex with you. <laughs> what a nightmare. <laughs> um, not for me. Yeah. Rin here, I'm gonna have to agree with Rebecca with the with the one exception of the very opening shot of him where he's got like his his little glasses on and his white shirt. That's the only time when I was like, oh, he's attractive. And then, yeah, Allie, I had the same thought of like, why is she, why is she choosing him? Like, he's not a particular like star player. I mean, I guess he's going to get a promotion, but like, there's nothing about him that really makes him stand out except that he is like an okay-ish question mark dad. Like, but he's a bad dad. Yeah. And he doesn't seem to be particularly like inspired when it comes to sex. Like. Yeah. I don't know. One of the things I appreciated was that the sex scene wasn't like super sexy. It was pretty awkward and funny. He kept his eyes open the whole time, even when she was splashing water in them, like trying to get him to close them. Well, like you know that the 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 sink sex scene is actually listed as like one of the sexiest scenes in cinema on like a lot of lists of like the sexiest scenes in, do in they, movies. Do they cut it before he like awkwardly with his pants around his ankles tries to shuffle her to the See, bed? I actually liked that because I feel like mo- movies like don't show the awkward parts of sex. You are like like yeah, like, how are their clothes just like so right. seamlessly off? And it is it's. I like the realism of having it like, yeah, yeah, sometimes funny things happen during sex, but um, like the director wanted to have it in the kitchen because he didn't want it to be in the bed. He he thought it should be somewhere else. And he remembered himself having sex uh, in a kitchen and how like the plates were clanging around and stuff. And apparently he like shot it handheld and like shouted like praise at them. He was like, cause if you feel confident and sexy, like it's going to make it better, which I think wouldn't happen today. Probably wouldn't be like, yeah, it's turning me on, like the way that I think he oh. was feeling. <laughs> no. Yeah. Even the best sex of my life, if there was a third party there shouting like encouragement, <laughs> God, I would hate that. Well, he, for the movie, like you'd you'd be aware you were making a movie. Still though, I thought the scene was kind of hot. I I kind of agree with Ali. I thought it was hot. Um, and the awkwardness was good, but it's mostly because she shines so bright in that scene and she's so into it and she's doing weird shit with the water in his mouth and like, and she's laughing and it was like her laughter and like, oh, this, this seems like playful and fun sex. So I can see how that would be alluring. And then I guess she finds out she's pregnant in two days, one day of having sex. Oh yeah. Oh, good point. Oh, actually, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe they're trying to say show the time frame had passed like a couple of weeks. Well, maybe if, if time had passed, then I like her even more. Yeah, I if, think because I think like she sees him during the first week and doesn't know about the pregnancy yet, and then she's like been calling him. I think maybe a couple weeks after. Okay, I thought it was all like just a couple of days between. But yeah, that would make more sense. And that would make me like her even more. Because then she does kind of back off until she has a real reason to go after him, which is the baby. But they do make sure to establish that she is 
uh, like a little obsessed with him doing the i didn't know that was from this movie the scene where she's just on the floor like turning the light on and on oh i love yeah. it she's listening to madam butterfly god that's creepy yeah. such a that was great opera like i love that so much in like the juxtaposition of like having him like going bowling with his buddies and like the, his like couple friends and like his wife and like she's like on the floor just turning a light on and off listening to the song they listen together yeah and the and the callback to later when she's inside the house and they don't know it but the lights start flickering oh i didn't even notice that. oh my god i i I just got that before the the mom goes upstairs to the bath that's she's already inside the house and he's like oh let me lock these doors like way too late (laughs) <laughs> yes you were being stalked your daughter was kidnapped earlier and you guys didn't lock the door when you got home he go he goes to the front door and he just puts the chain on and i'm like all right clearly the deadbolt was done then he goes to the back door and it might as well have been a jar i was so pissed <laughs> at him for that but it's like then when the lights flicker again like she's magic like she's making it happen with her <laughs> anger everyone's really bad with security like she in a new york city apartment as a woman who lives alone leaves a key to her apartment just like by her door like on the like smoke detector whatever that was which like like so she she must just not bring it with her though because when he comes later he has to like knock on the door wait for her to open and break in so are we to believe that every time she leaves her apartment she just doesn't want to carry her key so she leaves it up there it's too heavy it's too heavy (laughs) too much (laughs) it could have been her spare oh boy but okay but public service announcement don't do that lock your doors and do not keep a key outside we're all just pondering that for a moment i feel like like, i feel like she moved it back in after he broke in because she must have been like oh he mad i i don't want to let him easily back into the apartment i think i i I, on that note because we we mentioned that so yeah, she has this very steady, good job, a really nice apartment, even though it's in kind of a dodgy area of town. Um, I hope she held on to it because, wow, that would be a lot of money today. Yes. Oh, yeah, um, Stone Street outside, amazing. But I think this movie would land better for me in terms of like the scorned woman who is like out to get him versus just like a very, very unwell woman who desperately needs some help. Um, yeah. It would be if, because of their affair, she gets fired and he doesn't. Oh, I like that. That would be a good modern twist, yeah. like to show like how women yeah. get stigmatized for having sex, but like men just ha- can, you know, do whatever and, and it doesn't um, land on them. And he yeah. even does that like promotion talk about becoming a partner. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, because yeah, it's less about her obsessing about him and more of her like kind of taking everything out on him. Yeah, and then when she finds out she's pregnant, that's, like, another reason to be, like, you're getting away with everything. I think there's a way you could read this. It's not in the text, but you could read it that she did lose her job because she suddenly has so much time for daytime stalking. Yes. (laughs) And, like, daytime activities. Like That's what I mean. As soon as she slits her wrist, it's a different movie. She's a different character, a different person. Maybe she's a consultant, so, like, she can make her own hours. (laughs) But, Rin, you make such a good... You make such a good point because you're right. He, everything, like him becoming a partner, his, like his like house in the uh, country and all of that, it's all just his life is going really well. And she, on the other hand, 
it seems other than the pregnancy or even with the pregnancy, she would be fine if she just walked away from this situation. She's got an all right job. She's got her life somewhat together. But unfortunately, what is at play is mental illness. And I do think there, there would be a much more compelling story if she was scorned in a way other than he just doesn't want anything to do with her. Because then we do run into the problem of that we were talking about earlier, which is him? Because I do wonder if, like, the heart of it is, like, they do seem to have, like, an incredible chemistry. Like, you know, like, they, like, rip each other's clothes off in the kitchen. And, like, you see her kettle is going, which I don't know if that's supposed to, like, foreshadow the bunny or something. But the kettle is going. So I imagine they were just, like, going to make tea or something in the kitchen. And then they just, like, had to have each other. Uh, So I feel like we're supposed to believe, like, this is, like, one of those sort of, like, you know, really rare attractions that you find which is why it's like fatal attraction and that's part of what she can't let go is like they had such like chemistry sorry the nerd in me uh the kettle mirrors the kettle at the end of the film that disguises the sound of his wife screaming yes you're right <laughs> a lot of stovetop stuff in there a lot of yeah. and their love is just too hot <laughs> very nice love it that's why they have to cool it down with water at times they would have just burst into flames in that scene. <laughs> it was, um, I, I was curious about the, like what you guys all thought of his wife, because I was mentioning it before, like there is just no reason for him to cheat. And she even like in the end, when all of this badness happens, she kicks him out. And then like her, their daughter gets kidnapped by this woman and she gets in a car accident and that's the catalyst for him full or for her fully taking him back. And I, that didn't ring true to me. Yeah. Like he tells the daughter, like the daughter's like, are you going to be here back forever? And he's like back forever. And it's like, no, you, yeah, I would still be so mad. <laughs> yeah. Like the cure to getting cheated on is not a mistress induced car accident. Slash kidnapping. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's not even like Len Close caused this car accident because i mean she did kidnap the child but it's not like she was there you know blocking the street for um ann archer's character to run into her yeah like and- i i wrote get it together ann archer like i get how frantic she is but like you need to be the person together to find your child you can't be like crazy wildly looking around and then getting in car accidents like now you're out of commission and you can't find your child she leaves the school and just drives full speed throughout that small quaint little town like looking at any child who might be. But also, daughter. side note: what a shitty school! They'll just give your uh, kid to anyone that turns up to pick them up. I totally understood her though, driving crazy through that town. That made perfect sense to me. Like her, her panic, and I love the way they intercut that with the roller coaster ride, like Glenn Close yeah. speaking with her daughter, which is completely innocent. Um, if the only thing that's sort of an asterisk in that is the creepy way that Glenn Close stares at the child, like you're mine now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's completely innocent, but this mania and this panic around where is my kid, I thought was really effective. Um, what do we think about that scene though? Like her taking the kid, what do you guys think about that? I mean, obviously this child has not heard about stranger danger, has no like qualms about going out for a fun time with someone random. I thought the TA, the teachers, like, were going to say, like, oh, yeah, some woman with candy in her car picked her up, so we let her go. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, they, they didn't seem, like, to be, fran- they were just kept being like, oh, she's gone, she went home, you already picked her up, and it's like, I look different than Glenn Close, so no, I didn't. <laughs> you changed your hair back, I can't believe. 
Um, actually, Rebecca, you brought up something interesting, which was the way Glenn Close was looking at the child. Was do you think she was trying to take like a weird ownership of the kid? I wonder if she was wondering what her child with him would look like. Oh, maybe because that's one thing that baffled me about this movie and what led me to believe sometimes that it had the bad message of like women be crazy, but it is what was Glenn Close's goal? She says she doesn't, she won't be ignored, but like, what was, what was motivating all of these heightened actions for her? Well, I think taking the kid, the goal was like, she wanted to show him I have, like she, that's why she returns are like, I have access to you. So like, don't fuck with me. I have access to you. I can destroy your car. I can take your kid and she, but she wasn't going to hurt the kid. She just brings her back. Like she has a really nice night with like really nice, like little like jaunt with her. Yeah. But all of that is in service of like, what? She, what well, she, she wants want to be him? with him. Fully just, she wants. To she wants to have a family with him. I think she wants the wife's life at this point. Ah. Wants to be with him, wants to be a mother to that little girl too. But hmm. You were asking about her motivation though, and I don't I don't quite know. I do think this movie thinks she's crazy though. I I think our reading of it is different. Um, but I think this movie thinks that she's just crazy. Yeah, I think we're I think all of us want her to have like more going on because Michael Douglas is such a shit. We don't want him to be the hero, but sadly He's not the hero. She he's the object of her obsession. Yeah. There's something also that could be kind kind of sinister. If you look at it, I mean, I feel like, especially in, in in a lot of the action movies, especially the older ones that Rebecca and I have watched, it's always like, if there's two women in the movie, it's, you know, Madonna and the whore. And for this one, it's like a little upsetting that the career woman is the one who's like going crazy, kidnapping kids because she's so desperate to have her own because she can't keep a man or something like that, which is like really pushing what we see maybe outside the intention um because yeah i think she she wants the wife's life i think she also feels like she's already part of this family and she should like she deserves to be there i really thought that the school was gonna be like oh yeah your sister came and picked him up or picked her up you know yeah but they were like it was you right yeah they, they just keep being like oh yeah <laughs> you're, didn't you already pick her up and it's like no like why do you keep saying that to her a completely different person picked her up you changed your hair back and got your old car back i can't believe it to be yeah. fair they did just move there right like a week ago or something that's true yeah. even yeah. so i mean if i had a child i'd be saying something different <laughs> but i do feel like i don't like michael douglas to me is definitely not the hero of this movie i think if anyone is the hero it's ann archer like yeah she ends up kind of getting like the final blow she ends up being like she is the person that's she and the daughter obviously are innocent in all of this. Like they didn't like, she's been the absolute perfect, like sweet housewife, like that she possibly could be. She never like causes him any problems. She's very supportive. She's like very attractive. Like there's nothing wrong with her. Like there's no reason anyone should be cheating on her. Yeah. Uh, so I feel, and I feel like they did a good job of like, like showing like the juxtaposition between like her just being like sort of like oblivious and like sweet and happy and then like glenn close being like you know really menacing in the scene where i i kind of love glenn close for this when she like they change their phone number and she oh. can't have access to them and so she goes to like they're trying to sell their apartment she goes to the listing and like hangs out with the wife 
so that when he comes home, she's going to be there like, hey, and then she's like, haven't we met before? And like really makes them uncomfortable. And there's that great moment of Ann Archer just like it cuts between the two of them and you're, you're the, the camera is like the point of view of Michael Douglas. And you see like Ann Archer's like smiling and being like, oh, I forgot your last name, T. I'm sorry. And like Glenn Close really like eyeballing him. And Glenn Close gets like that really great moment of Ann Archer being like, here, let me give you our new phone number so you can give us a call. And she just like smiles at Michael Douglas and he has to leave the room. I loved that scene so much. I think like it's, I was like, yes, like even though you're so crazy, but like, yes, do this. Like it's such a good move for her. Yeah, she's competent crazy. Yeah, I loved it. that scene was so, so good. And then the scene where Ann Archer is also realizing that he cheated on her, like, was also incredible but this movie is, is such a this movie is so uncomfortable in so many <laughs> things it's just like such a slow burn for so many things where you're really forced to linger in those great moments like you just described ali where it's like he knows that she knows but she doesn't know that they know that you know oh yeah it's really sitting in that discomfort but i think it's i found it notable how little discomfort he seems to feel around his wife like mm-hmm. i think I mean, it's a classic thing, but I think he only feels guilty or worried that he will be found out. I don't think he seems to feel guilty at all about the affair like when he's with his wife or kid until much, much later when it seems like, oh, their lives might be in danger. If he is guilty, I think it's manifesting in him being like better than he was. Like he was like so affectionate when he sees his wife and he's like obviously so relieved like to be out of the situation that's turned so dark with Glenn Close. But he's like kissing her and telling her how much he missed her. And then with his daughter, he buys her the rabbit when he was so adamant Mm -hmm. about not getting the rabbit before. And he's so much more affectionate, it seems like with his daughter too. So I feel like he's been inspired to be better because he's like oh shit I stepped out of it and then like shit went so badly like let me overcompensate interesting yeah it feels like a band-aid though like this is what's gonna work until he cheats very soon again that was my question I mean like we talked about earlier he slips into like this affair very very quickly like there's not even a moment of hesitation really at that restaurant and sort of like well, are you okay with it? Because I'm married. I think he's cheated quite a lot before. What do you What do you all think? Yeah, I think the way his secretary looked at him mm. definitely has a pattern here. I didn't. I didn't get the feeling that he cheated before, but I didn't like how, like, he was really st- stupid about the whole situation. Like, and I think that's part of why. Like, he goes out to publicly dancing with her he goes to like central park with her and brings the dog which is also inappropriate and is like you know on the street with his arm around her like he's like so public about the affair and then what really disgusts me is that he doesn't use any protection and he acts surprised when she ends up pregnant like he's like you didn't use anything and it's like you didn't use anything motherfucker like she could have had an std and then you bring that home to your wife mm-hmm. like you didn't think about getting this woman pregnant you didn't think about well you know keeping your sexual health at least for your wife's sake like you didn't use a fucking condom and now you're like why are you pregnant like yeah you fucking idiot of course she's pregnant yeah it's infuriating i think he's definitely cheated before if only because of the bargaining he did with her at that dinner table that yeah. it was like very sexually coded, but it was this kind of almost negotiation of, well, I'm married. And he, she's like, okay, like, I'm kind of interested. Are you interested? And he's like, I'm interested if you're interested. And she's like, well, I'm thinking about it. 
you know, it's this kind of lawyerly negotiation. I feel like he's done before this careful. I'm not going to say it first, but like, absolutely. I would fuck you. Yeah. And he does. He's the first one to sort of be like, I'm down if you are. And she, that's when she takes a step back and plays a little coy, plays hard to get, which is. Well, she's pretty blatant. I actually kind of liked how bold she was where she just like blatantly says like, we were attracted to each other when we first saw each other at the Japanese restaurant. Yeah. She just like kind of lays it out. But then she's like out loud pondering like, well, am I going to do this? Like you're married. Well, I think she's being, when he says like, you know, so what do you think? And she says like, I haven't decided yet. I think she's being honest. I think she's still deciding. Yeah. I think that's what turns him on the most too, is when she's like, oh, maybe not. So we've been talking and this movie is just a series of crazy, heightening, escalating moments. Um, Because we have a lot of interesting trivia to get to, I think let's go around the horn and go into our favorite, best, sexiest, whatever you want to call it, moment from the movie. Um, And Allie, I think you probably have a lot built up on this. Should we start with you? I mean, definitely I love the scene. I I like that it's filmed from Michael Douglas's perspective, the one that I just talked about with the the phone number. Um, I think that that's really fun. Uh, And I do, I, I like them at the you know, it's bad that they're about to have an affair, but I do like the conversation and the way that it kind of builds. Cause there is like, it's very, she's very sexy. And like, she, like, this was like a big moment for her to, to show that she was sexy. Cause she was not an actress that was thought of like in that way. So the fact that I think she's very sexy in that moment, I like the way that she's really confident and you don't know that she's like, you know, unhinged. So it, I, I like the way that it kind of shows their chemistry. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca, how about you? Um, I was just thinking when you were saying that, I was just thinking about all the ways this film showed that she was sophisticated too before they showed she was crazy. You know, her interest in opera, um, the stuff she talks about at work, her apartment, like when she's making him dinner, she knows how to cook like Italian food. Like, I feel like they, they kind of go out of their way to show like, oh, she's, she's also like cool and grown up and maybe like into affairs with married men and very, you know, a woman of the world. Um, my favorite parts, I have a lot. Um, I mean, I love that apartment scene you mentioned, Allie. And I did think their sex scene was hot. The, fir- the first one, once they're in the bed, I'm not into it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I think my very favorite scene was the um, kidnapping. Because the stakes just felt so high and the, t- the tension was just ratcheted up to a million, even though we knew the kid was like completely safe. I felt, I felt the kid would be safe with her. Honestly, it's just the mother's terror that really got to me. And that child actress is so cute. Oh. She's like so adorable. Really cute kid. And it was, it was one of a couple scenes in this movie where they do do a good, like cut back and forth juxtaposition scene. We talked about the light switch earlier. They do them like really effectively and they have, as many as they can have without it getting tedious. Like it's a, it's a great, they're right. They're right in the right pocket there. Uh, Rin, how about you? Well, I, yeah, I have a, quite a few. I think there's so much about this movie that I could probably talk about for hours, but I think my top three would be the phone number scene in the apartment. Um, Ali, I also agree. Like Glenn Close is really sultry. Um, and Rebecca, I agree with you about what you said about her being sophisticated. I wrote down here, like, Alex is really fun. They go out dancing immediately after, like, coming back to the apartment having sex. And it's just, like, such a weird jump. But um, anyway, my other two favorite scenes 
I didn't think that their sex scene was particularly like sexy. I thought it was realistic and that was fun. Um, I thought the almost sex scene between Michael Douglas and Ann Archer when he's like realizing he needs to pay attention to her was pretty steamy, like before they get interrupted. And then I loved the scene where he finally confesses that he's been having an affair and her realization. And then also when they're fighting and just like, I almost started crying when they then panned to the little girl who was like, had her rabbit kidnapped and then is seeing her world literally fall apart um i thought those were really really effective and i think it's a good it's a really effective scene in like showing like the consequences of his actions like beyond like all of the stuff that wouldn't happen with a normal affair most of the time like somebody wouldn't like kill your kid's pet but like it would devastate your wife and make her hate you and it would make your you know your child devastated too yeah and he had he had such a nice life going like his wife did everything for him he and he like because of that support was able to go and like have the good job almost become partner live this amazing life in the country and then like one woman like bats her eyes at him and he like puts it all in jeopardy and you know even at best when he regains it their entire dynamic within the relationship has to shift like she the way she views him and like his oh if i'm her i'm bringing it up anytime anything like oh you didn't load the dishwasher remember how you had an affair with a crazy woman and then she kidnapped our child and then tried to murder me in the bathtub he's like oh i'm 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 just tired today and she's like let me give you a back rub and some brandy that quickly becomes why are you tired like (laughs) what happened yeah she can never trust him again and she shouldn't because he would never come clean if this woman wasn't out to kill them yeah and also like his affair went so poorly that he got her pregnant and then also like like she he chose so poorly as to who to have an affair with that this person tried to basically murder them all yeah a woman he works with too like again i'm not i'm not trying to sit here and be like there are better choices for an affair but he really went about this in a dumb he chose somebody that he met at work like you're (laughs) <laughs> potentially going to have to see this person and you even you met her at at a work event in front of your wife like she yeah. might be in your wife's vicinity uh for me in that same vein for me i think the best part of the movie the move the, like the part that i think if i were hooked up to a heart monitor the part that definitely got it racing the most was the initial scene where she like cuts her wrists because as i've said a couple times it's even like lit differently the whole movie the whole story everything changes in that moment and it is the like, you know, f- uh, uh, f- forgive the term, but it is like, it's like the epitome of that post-coital clarity, that post, um, like, you know, he got it out of his system and now reality sets in in a big way for him. And I actually remember thinking, like, I wrote it in my notes, and this may be like, I'm not trying to like score husband points, but I do remember thinking like the biggest tragedy of this, if it were me, would be all I would want to do is go home and tell Allie, you're not going to believe what <laughs> fucking happened to me today. <laughs> and you couldn't do that. Well, also the realization of not knowing, like, oh, I don't actually don't know this person. Yeah, this is a loose canon. And like, he's going to be living in fear of, they show it a little bit too when he moves the family to Bedford. You know, he's like, oh, well, all our problems will be solved. And all it takes is the phone ringing once for him to be like, that could be her ready to spill the tea. And like, it's like, that's everything. Everything's gone after that. So I think that moment, it's also where she slits her wrists, the score. They don't do this any other time in the movie, but it's like, it's like music from Stomp. It's like trash cans banging and really visceral, like 
scary stuff. It was just, it was a really good scene and so pivotal to the movie that that ha- I, one of us had to mention it. So I'll, I'll fall on that sword. Also, that- I'll give a, a shout out to the, the scene where they like have like sexy time in the elevator because it is sexy. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they can't wait until they get to her apartment. Like they're doing it. It gets a little less comedic. Sexy. Yeah. Where do you like, puts her whole boob in his mouth and like it's like weird well, and then there's the they stop between floors and someone walks by and like michael douglas makes eye contact and then they like move the, <laughs> they're like pushing down to like move the, the elevator down i did think that was kind of funny even though she lives on the top floor well but they she had hit stop right so i think that stopped them between floors and so he was at like eye level able to see people like walking back and forth and was sort of like hey <laughs> Also, while we're while we're discussing moments, shout out to uh, Jane Krakowski had like the briefest yeah. cameo in this movie and babysitter. She was the babysitter in the beginning. Oh my gosh, I completely missed that. I don't even remember what she says, but she says like one line with the kid. Yeah. So I actually I wanted to ask one question though. So like about the bunny, I wanted to know. Uh, do you think that they made the best of a bad situation when they found <laughs> the bunny <laughs> boiling? <laughs> And maybe we're like, time for dinner. (laughs) I think that bunnies with red eyes are probably pretty evil anyway. So I didn't feel as, I really didn't feel as bad about the bunny as if it had been like a cute little brown bunny. Just saying. They are kind of creepy. Like the like red eyes staring. I mean, like bunnies do kind of have soulless eyes. I'm going to be honest. Well, hang on. Speaking of off color eyes, when Glenn Close was drowning, did they briefly make her eyes white? Yeah, they put white contacts in. Wh- why? When you die, your eyes get a little, like, creepy. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. For Lame. Halloween here, I got contacts that were supposed to be, like, dead contacts um, that I was going to wear to a Halloween party. I never wore them, but, yeah. Fun fact. It made me so <laughs> mad. We, we got into... Well, not a real argument, but I was like, this is the dumbest idea you've ever had because they freaked me out. I was scared of them and I didn't want That's to see the my point. They're supposed to be scary. <laughs> I didn't want to see my best friend looking scary to me because I enjoy her company and didn't want to be afraid of her. And she's like, well, I'm going to wear them out to dinner when we go to the <laughs> place. And I'm like, I don't think you should because how are you going to see? <laughs> were, were they hard to see through? I'm always curious. I, did, I didn't end up wearing them. Oh, ever? No, they're still sitting in a box somewhere. So who knows? Maybe I'll pull them out at like Christmas. Yeah. Ooh. Just to freak <laughs> Rebecca out. Yep. I don't think they ate the bunny. I hope not. I also hope they didn't tell Ellen what really happened. Like Ellen was crying. I hope they just told her that the bunny ran away. They had yeah. to have, right? Yeah. I don't think Michael Douglas could handle the responsibility of having to like skin and butcher that dead rabbit, dead boiled <laughs> rabbit. And I don't yeah. think his wife is going to either after he told her the truth. So that's true. I don't, I don't think I'd be down. They still didn't lock their doors after that, though. Like if I came nope. home to a pet on the stove, I would be like getting new locks for my There'd door. There'd be bars on the windows. Yeah. Like yeah. chairs against the door. Like I would be barricading. <laughs> or you would have moved your family to like a motel somewhere else. Yeah, that's also true. like future kidnappings and pet murdering because they have the cutest dog too and he does not care about that dog like he lets that dog be at home while he has sex with them close and does not like care that he hasn't taken him out for a walk and still doesn't come home to a big like poo on the hardwood because that's a good dog oh there definitely is a poo in there somewhere 
I was saying, I wrote down in my notes, if I was that dog, I would have pooped on his pillow. Because he also, like, he doesn't take the dog immediately out either. Like, he's like, okay, let me check the messages. And I'm like, take your dog probably really has to go to the bathroom. That's a big plate of spaghetti in front of it. Yeah. Which is going to yeah. make it sick. I really yeah. think he's going to step on a pile of pee or something, or a puddle of pee, but that would have been good, too. He slips, dies, credits. <laughs> that dog should have been mad. Yeah. That dog should hate him. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for this next part because uh, you guys don't know this, but Allie has, I feel like she's been working for like 24 hours <laughs> on the trivia. Uh, do you guys want to get into that? Yeah. yeah. Okay, though. Did a lot of research. Yes. So I'll even just t- talk about the bunny. So that was an actual dead rabbit that they had bought from a butcher um, mm. that, it was priest like it had not been skinned yet or anything like that and apparently it smelled really bad so that helped with like the acting of the scene because when it comes out of the when the lid comes off it was pretty rancid smelling um but that yeah that's a real bunny did it say where they got the rabbit from? i don't want at a that. butcher they went they got it from a butcher oh but okay yeah it's for new york they've got like butchers they've got cheesemongers they've got fishmongers yeah you know. All right. You just have to go to the butcher and say, can you give it to me? Like one that you haven't skinned yet. I hope you pay less. I feel like PETA would have a lot to say about that now. But I I mean, like if the rabbit's dead either way, I feel like maybe it wasn't. It's not like they killed it for the movie. I feel like maybe that's that's where the gray area is. Maybe they could say it's desecrating the corpse though. PETA PETA would still take issue. Maybe justifiably so. They can still say no animals were harmed in the making of this movie though. Yeah. I feel like the CDC might have something to say. That's like, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, it's pretty gross. Yeah. So uh, this movie was the highest grossing film of 1987 worldwide and the second highest grossing film in the U.S. behind Three Men and a Baby. Wow. <laughs> Completely different movies. <laughs> um, it received six Oscar nominations, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress for Glenn Close, Best Supporting Actress for Ann Archer. This is her only Oscar nomination to date. Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Film Editing. But in a somewhat ironic twist, Michael Douglas actually won the Best Actor Oscar that year for Wall Street. So while he wasn't nominated like widely for this movie, he did win for Wall Street. Interesting. And Fatal Attraction took home none. Ann Archer deserved some recognition. That scene that Rin, you were talking about where she learns about the affair, she's amazing in that. Oh, I mean, Glenn Close deserved oh. her nomination. Glenn, Glenn Close is deserved. Yeah. I would actually oh. award this the best picture. I don't know what it was competing with, but this was like, this is a best picture movie to me. It's really well done. I mean, I think like Glenn Close just like really, she makes the movie and like her eyes, the eye work that she does, like when she at first is just alluring him, she's got the sexy eyes. She looks so mysterious and interesting. But then when she flips and like something's like snapped, her eyes are so creepy throughout Mm -hmm. the rest of the movie. Whenever she's looking at him, it's like her, she did something in her acting where her eyes were just wild. Beats the hell out of Wall Street. I've never seen Wall Street, I'll be honest. Let's just watch Fatal Attraction again. (laughs) So Michael Douglas was actually working on Wall Street at the same time. So he was filming them both. And to avoid a schedule conflict, he would alternate between each film during the week. Wow. Wow. I haven't seen Wall Street, but I imagine wildly different tones. (laughs) Like (laughs) maybe kind of hard to swap. Not wildly different, but like if you're an actor trying to get in a headspace, Gordon Gecko is far from like the family man that he's trying to play in this far from a hero too interesting 
So the film was actually adapted by James Dearden. He's the the screenplay author um, from a short film from 1980 that he made uh, for British television called Diversion. And he had assistance from Nicholas Meyer, who has uh, co-wrote like Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan and Star Trek, The Voyage Home. Like he's like kind of a prolific uh, screenwriter. Glenn Close still has the knife she used in the movie hanging in her kitchen, stating it's beautiful, made of wooden paper. It's a work of art and it's nice for our guests to see it. It lets them know that they can't stay forever. (laughs) (laughs) I love her. Does she stab Ann Archer in that scene or does she just like. She tries super hard. It was unclear the way they filmed it, though, because you see her stabbing at her, but we don't see the knife running. I don't think we see any blood from Ann Archer, so I don't think she gets her. I thought I noticed some on her arm, but I could have been wrong. She's bad at stabbing. I mean, it's hard to stab somebody, probably. Love that you know that. I've said probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, According to Glenn Close, people still come up to her and say, thanks, you saved my marriage. Yikes. I maybe maybe it kept people from having affairs, but I don't know if it's just a movie that's keeping you from having an affair. Maybe your marriage shouldn't be saved. I, after watching this movie, certainly would not have an affair with Glenn Close. <laughs> that, like, that's everyone, the only else, everyone else still on the table. Right. <laughs> um, Glenn Close said that in her opinion, she had no trouble doing her nude scenes because she believed that, that they were not exploitative at all and that they all served the story. I kind of agree. Yeah, that's fair. I think like, you can kind of tell that too, because she seems very like she, there's no no part of her that feels self conscious. Like, and when she's like sitting oh. and like her breasts are just out while they're having a conversation, like she didn't need to have her breasts out, but just it's more realistic if like there's some nudity happening versus like being so covered up with somebody you just slept with. Well, especially in the sex scenes, it it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, so Glenn Close's character was supposed to be 36, but she herself was 40 when this was being filmed. Michael Douglas was 41 and Archer was 39. So actually no creepy age gaps, which I always appreciate. Is that a first for our podcast? It might be. <laughs> no creepy age gaps. Wow. No I, fatal admit, attraction. I, I heard her say, oh, you know, I'm 36. And I went, oh, is she like actually 26 right <laughs> now? But cool. I love no creepy age gaps. Yeah, it is so rare. And I think that honestly, it partly, it makes the movie better because you can see him actually being married to Ann Archer. I still think she's too good for him, but like you can see like that makes sense as a marriage and you can, and like for Glenn Close to be alluring, it's not like she's some young, like whatever thing. It's like, she's like a woman who's very confident in herself and like very sexy because she's like this like complicated, interesting woman. Uh, so both Michael Douglas and Glenn Close were not the first choices for their roles. Douglas hadn't quite proved himself as a leading man beyond romancing the stone. Um, Christopher Reeve actually turned down this role, but he also had turned down romancing the stone. So I feel like Michael Douglas, I was like, oh, thank you for his career. He's just cleaning up after Christopher Reeve. <laughs> yeah. Other people considered for Michael Douglas's part was Dan Aykroyd, Jim Belushi, Nicolas Cage, Chevy Chase, Kevin Costner, Robert De Niro, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Tom Hanks, John Hurd, Kevin Klein, Steve Martin, Rick Moranis, Bill Murray, Jack Nicholson, Al Pacino, Dennis Quaid, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Martin Sheen, O.J. Simpson, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, John Travolta, John Voight, and Bruce Willis. Why? That doesn't Every mean, actor. That's that doesn't the mean actors. that they auditioned all of them or that they even offered it to all of them. They were just all at one point 
apparently considered. This is rumored so to be so many comedians. Like, like there, but for the grace of God, goes Rick Moranis having sex with Glenn Close on a sink. <laughs> well, I think they're what? trying to figure out like who's a good family man. Like, you know, like maybe that juxtaposition. Rick Kevin Moranis, they've done a great job. You know, they always say that like comedians make the best dramatic actors. That's true because comedy is so much harder. Yeah, I mean, Jim Belushi is one of the ones where I'm like, no, why would you do that? Dan Aykroyd. That'd be weird. I think, yeah. I think, yeah, who would you have picked from that list? I think I would have said Kevin Costner. I'm not, I don't really like Kevin Costner. The movie that I would like to pay to see, but it would be a bad movie is with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> oh my God. I'd be, I'd be interested to see what Kevin Klein would do with it. Actually, Kevin Klein, I think, is good uh, in any movie. Yeah. So I feel like he would. Oh, I love it. Kevin Klein. Yeah. Yeah, I think he could have pulled it off. Wow. So Sylvester Stallone's another one where I just want to see a version of that movie, but I don't want it to be the final version. No. Um, OJ Simpson was a wild one to me. I was just like, wait, really? <laughs> um, so the filmmakers have admitted that they almost didn't see Glenn Close. She was already a three-time Oscar nominee, but for playing very different kinds of uh, people. So she was not seen as a sex symbol and they didn't want to see her because they thought that she wasn't sexy. So they were like very adamant about not seeing her. Um, in fact, she said, as she said in uh, a 2017 interview with the New York Times, I just wanted a character that would demand more of me. I'd never played a character who was supposed to be sexy. I knew I could do it. There were They were so sure I was wrong. They didn't even want me to read because they were embarrassed. Uh, the filmmaker said, please don't make her come in. She's completely wrong for the part when her agent called to get her the audition. Director Adrian Lynn actually thought she was, quote, the last person on earth who should play Alex. That's so mean. Yeah, because that's how unattractive they found her. And like, what I do think is so interesting about her is like, she's not a traditionally attractive woman. Like, she's not like, you know, you look at like Michelle Pfeiffer and you're like, oh, okay, that's like somebody that's traditionally societally accepted as attractive. But Glenn Close comes in and she's such a interesting, confident, like perfect woman that she just like comes in and she is such a great actress. She exudes the sex appeal and like immediately you're like, yeah, she's so sexy. Yeah. It's also obnoxious, like, oh, no, 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 she's not hot enough for Michael Douglas. <laughs> Boo. Well, yeah, they didn't think she would be hot enough to be, like, the person that, like, lures him away. Yeah. Um, Michael Douglas said, we were doing a big favor for Glenn's agent by letting her read with me. I don't think any of us had high hopes. She's a wonderful actress, but she always projected a Puritan vision. The moment I saw her, I was like, whoa. Who oh, asked him? Michael Douglas. Who asked him? <laughs> He's not the casting director. He can eat it. I do like that she clearly like just like came in and immediately they were like, okay, we were all wrong. We have to hire this person. Um, considered but, for what? I ju no, just I, I I said but, but just screw all of them. Is, screw every single one of them. Other actresses that were considered for her role were Miranda Richardson, Judy Davis, Isabel Ajani, Jessica Lange, Deborah Winger, Susan Sarandon, Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, other ones that were rumored to uh, be considered were Melanie Griffith, Sharon Stone, Elizabeth Shue, Sally Field, Gilda Radner is rumored to have auditioned. I, wait, I shit you not. I was going to float Gilda Radner as a joke. Like, no, no, no. Because of all the comedians. Clearly somebody were. was watching like SNL and was like, let's bring all of these guys in. Or they just were like too focused on SNL and they were like, bring in other people. Um, Emma Thompson. Diana Ross was at one point considered. 
Um, also considered but never auditioned were Faye Dunaway, Mia Farrow, Angelica Houston. Rumored to have brought in Tracy Ullman. Um, yeah. And Olivia Hussey also was uh, considered, but she didn't like the bunny boiling scene. Am I reading that correctly? Jim Belushi was also considered twice? <laughs> um, Kirstie Alley actually read for Alex, and she didn't work out. Um, she fatefully brought with her a recording of phone calls from a woman who had stalked her then-husband, Parker Stevenson, and she gave the tape to Adrian Lynn. And um, the producer, Sherry Lansing, said, you could hear the woman crying, and you could hear people talking downstairs as she begged to be part of this man's life. Adrian ended up using it verbatim in the scene where Dan listens to Alex's tape. Oh, so that's those, fascinating. Oh, my yeah. God. All those homophobic slurs were, like, born from Kirstie Alley's husband's real life? I don't we, I don't know what part is used verbatim. Like, I doubt the whole thing, because she kind of gets pretty murdery in it, so I would hope not, but I don't know. That was, I looked this up, from, like, Midtown Manhattan to Bedford is, like, a one-hour drive. I looked that he, up, too. He starts it, like, in the parking garage, and it is not done when he gets home. I feel like there's got to be another side. Yeah. Like, it's probably A side, B side. But she was just, like, ranting at him for over an hour. Yeah. Um, The character's name in the original screenplay was Sean Forrest, and many people thought that was this, um, the writer referring to the actress Sean Young, who he's rumored to have had an affair with on Blade Runner. He denies basing the character on Sean Young. Sean Young has like a reputation for stalking James Woods, which may or may not be somewhat accurate. Um, and he denies ever having a relationship with her or basing the character on her. Whoa. Classy. Um, a big problem they had is that no one wanted to make this movie. So not only did they end up with like, like not top choices for the actors, more than 20 directors passed on directing the movie. Uh, Sherry Lansing, the producer and the other producer, Stanley R. Jaffe, uh, brought it to a number of people. The then head of production at Paramount, Don St- Steele, ended up throwing the script across the room, outraged that they even gave it to her, wondering aloud why anyone should care about the fate of Dan Gallagher. Lansing said she begged uh, John Carpenter to take it on and Brian De Palma Ooh. as well. Uh, it said that the, those two both passed because of similarities to the movie Play Misty for me. Um, other Great direct- movie. Other directors that were considered were John Borman and Tony Scott. So they either considered and uh, and were offered it and said no, or just you know were considered and uh, not offered it. But yeah, over twenty directors refused it, and they ended up with I think a director who was very competent with it. I I don't think I would want to change directors. I would like to see what Carpenter would do with the score of this yeah. movie. <laughs> but I think. What were you saying? Uh, I think it's really interesting that the the big question was the one that we had, which is like, why do we care about Dan Gallagher? Yeah. Yeah. When Brian De Palma it- didn't like Michael Douglas as the leading man. So he also, that was one of the objections he had, but the producers ended up staying by Michael Douglas. So that's sort of like the problems that they were having, but they didn't think of him as a leading guy, which I think is interesting, like in the context of now. Um. So the film has been brought up for having a similar plot to play Misty for me. In both films, the obsessed obsessed ex-lover slits her wrists in order to force the male lead to stay and take care of her. They there also is a small part in each film where the woman tries to get her man, uh, her get her love interest interested in her by playing Madame Butterfly, which oh. is very specific. And there is a scene in the movie where Douglas's character says, "No one can copyright an idea," which many have wondered if if it's an allusion to the fact that it's very similar to play Misty for me. That scene was, I remember writing in my notes, like weirdly out of place. They're just having a like legal topic about copyright law. Well, also to establish he's a lawyer, maybe. 
they established it. <laughs> well, and that, Fred Gwynn is in that scene of Munster's fame. Yeah. Munster. And he actually had a much larger role that got cut out. Probably because I feel like it would have been just so tangential to the plot. Yeah. That's my guess. Um, the original names for the movie, it was originally Diversion, and then it also had Affairs of the Heart, and then it ended up with Fatal Attraction. I think the best title. I agree. That's the best one. Diversion makes it feel like, hey, like I'm just a diversion. Yeah, that's kind of Glenn Close's whole point in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and Affairs of the Heart is too schmaltzy. Yeah, you if you go in like to see Affairs of the Heart, you think you're going to see a successful romance, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe the word affair was supposed to be the... But of the heart, like they're this meant is... to be together. The, 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 the S on affairs, affairs of the heart. Yeah, that's it's, true. That's, it's confusing. That makes it like, oh, it's many affairs. Yeah. We're having a conversation that was had in like a boardroom in 1986. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say fatal attraction wins my vote too. Yep. Yeah, I think it works on number of levels. Um, six-year-old Ellen Latson was cast through an open call and this was her film debut. Um, for the scene where the she's crying when she catches her parents fighting, she talked to the New York Times in 2017 about it. I was instructed not to speak. I was standing there with Uni, my stuffed, my own stuffed animal from home. Michael came up to me and said, look at that stupid unicorn. I'm going to throw it in the garbage. As you watch the scene, you can see I'm trying really hard to fight back tears. Finally, he was just yelling at me. I couldn't hold it in anymore. Adrian said, cut. Immediately, Michael ran to me and held me and said, I'm so sorry. It was pretty intense. Michael Douglas said, I felt pretty guilty, but you've got to do what you got to do. No, you don't. Well, that's how that's we got to cry. How is that, Michael? Like, how is that the, I don't know much. I don't know this much about movie sets, but that feels like a PA's job to make the six-year-old that cry, not strong. the star. Well, how's the PA going to get her to cry? The parent on set, it's their job to get the kid to cry. Yeah. Having also cast a couple of kids in like a murder scene, uh, you would never have an actor scream at a kid to get a reaction. It is, and it's weird to have like Michael Douglas screaming at the kid. Six-year-old cry really like that's the whole thing about being six is that you imagine a dragon and like you see it. You imagine you want to start crying and you start crying. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It wouldn't be hard. The mom just needs to say like, "You're not going to go get ice cream after this." Yeah, and then get her ice cream after <laughs> to make up for it. But yeah, I mean, like th that scene, she's very effective. Like sh when she's crying there, it, like it broke my heart to see her little tears. Michael Douglas does not come off sounding good in any of these trivia. No. In character and behind the scenes, <laughs> he is the villain of this movie. <laughs> A little fun fact, Glenn Close is allergic to tobacco. So for the few scenes where Alex is smoking in the film, the cigarettes are fake. What? Oh, I thought you were going to say she was just powering through. <laughs> no, she's, she's allergic. <laughs> Um, and the uh, screenwriter said, initially I had her grilling the bunny, but I thought that was too grotesque. So we boiled the bunny instead. You, you love to see a filmmaker with restraint. I do think <laughs> opening a grill and having the bunny on there would have been a little too disgusting. With Glenn Close there with a spatula and a kiss the chef apron. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it would have been pretty gross. Plus with the pot, you kind of get the, the pot is boiling over metaphor, like his lies. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I didn't even get that, but that you yeah. know, that's good. Rebecca, you're catching all of them this movie. You're you're like found money. This is <laughs> the 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 bunny scene ends up more ironic when you think of the fact that when Dan is talking about his dog earlier and she wants to hang out with him, she says she tells him to bring the dog and says, "I love animals. I'm a great cook." 
In a 2013 interview, Glenn Close admitted that she would have rethought her portrayal of Alex Forrest uh, because of her fear that the film's popularity may have been a contributing factor towards mental health stigma. I would oh. read that script totally differently, uh, Close said. The astounding thing was that in my research for Fatal Attraction, I talked to two psychiatrists. Never did a mental disorder come up. Never did the possibility of that come up. That, of course, would be the first thing I would think of now. Wow. So wait, if I'm she said she talked to two psychologists and neither of them were like, this character's got mental illness? They didn't bring up like a mental disorder. Oh, okay. They didn't like diagnose Alex. Yeah. I mean, okay. it, it sounds like she's like, yeah, the immediately now we would be like, this person has a mental disorder. And it was weird to her that at that time they were, they were uh, basically like she said, she asked them, is this behavior possible? And if it is, why? And the two psychiatrists who reviewed the script at Glenn Close's request both came to the same conclusion. Alex Forrest's behavior was, in its own way, a classic behavior. Their diagnosis was that Alex had been molested and sexually tortured for an extended period of time when she was a child. As a result, any emotional pain that she might experience that is associated with sex would provoke an extremely violent response. Okay, that seems like reaching. That is not in the text, yeah. That is yeah. not in the text at all. It's really that's, not. That's kind and of disturbing to me that they would assume like a, a sexually abusive backstory for someone like do like would those psychiatrists assume that in their own practice like that's a little alarming well, well I think they were just advising her of like this is how we would explain a person acting like this oh I see I think it's interesting also though and I know I mentioned this earlier and it's probably not in the text but like when you compare Alex before slitting her wrists like she's this career woman she's comfortable with having sex like she's been about the world and she's super confident so for them to say that like that abuse is the result of her actions so it's just or sorry her actions are the result of, of, of abuse like, I, I don't know it's just deeply upsetting yeah, well, like, me, what is it, it about michael douglas specifically that would trigger that well i think it's that she had this sexual this like intensely sexual weekend with him and then he rejected her so painfully mm. that that would cause her to snap and like the the trauma of her past would cause her to have that violent reaction i want to see the alternate movie where she just keeps her date with that other guy yeah she's like bye <laughs> the alternate timeline where she's like yeah. hey, and they go to dinner meets the love of her life uh um, and it's rick moranis <laughs> alex likely suffers from a, an obsessive condition known as de clarionbolts syndrome which is like similar to the I like the pause like any of us are going to correct your pronunciation there. <laughs> it's similar to the syndrome that seems to be portrayed in the show you that that's very no. oh. interesting yeah okay to bring it uh, to the modern uh, i would argue that joe and you has a severe case of like white male entitlement yeah i think i mean he definitely has a mental disorder because he takes it to like an, another level but it does seem like part of it like it does the seed of it comes from him having that like white male entitlement the delusion maybe the, like yeah. this mental this mental uh disorder illness what have you yeah so um alex's warped view of her relationship with dan is a match for the plot of her favorite opera madam butterfly in the play the japanese butterfly marries an american and bears his child but he has no intention of loving her forever and leaves her for an american wife driving her to despair in the film's original ending, the resonance is even stronger. So originally, the film had a much darker ending. 
Alex dies by suicide in a manner that leads detectives to suspect Dan killed her. So she slits her own throat and she- After the altercation in the apartment. Uh, and I'm getting into it. I'm sorry. She So she slits um his her throat using the knife that Dan had touched the night before when he came and attacked her. That's why there's that like focus in on the knife and she kind of smiles because- she's coming up with the plan that was in the original ending of like, well, you just touched what I'm going to use as the murder weapon now. Um, she also made a recording threatening to kill herself. Like that's, uh, you know, the recording that he ends up playing, which was sent to Dan and Beth eventually finds it in the alternate ending after Dan has been arrested. Um, so the police come, they say you're suspected of basically Glenn Close's murder. They arrest him. They tell him that they're going to test the, um, the knife for fingerprints. And then Beth finds the tape, starts playing it, and there's um, allusions on it with Glenn Close talking about like, oh, I'm I'm going to kill myself. I have nothing left with you. And so she she starts crying because she's relieved and she's going to take the, presumably going to take the tape to the cops and see if she can get him, um, you know, off for murder. But uh, yeah, the whole thing was to have it be like sort of a faked murder plot. And then the last scene is her, is like flashing back to Glenn Close actually slitting her wrist listening to Madame Butterfly. Or not her wrist, her throat, listening to Madame Butterfly, which is a very dark ending and a lot it's different than them ending on the picture of the family. And they filmed it like you can find this ending on YouTube and we watched it uh, before the podcast. And I think the the most egregious thing is what it does to Ann Archer's character, because she's like fully back with him when he's getting like taken away. She's like, I love you. I love you. Like, we're going to figure this out. And then she is like very relieved when she listens to the tape. She's like saying, thank God, thank God. And it's like, it it's all just her taking him back a little too quickly. Whereas in the original ending, like she, you can still see she's kind of like. No, this is the original ending. Or sorry, in the uh, theatrical ending, the ending that like we all saw. Uh, when she's like preparing her bath, she's still a little hesitant about his presence. No, she's not. He's like, I'm going to go get you some tea and some pills. And she's like, cool. Like, I like this ending better because like, I like that he has to go through some shit like mm. this, like the, the way that they ended it, like has been criticized, like the actual theatrical ending has been criticized for being misogynistic yeah. and sort of like dumping all of the subtlety out the window and just like kind of putting on this like sort of like actiony, like, oh, and the bad person dies and like, and the good people are still here sort of thing. And I think the movie also builds towards the original ending with like having Madame Butterfly in it, having the like her the the scene of them fighting and her looking at the knife and sort of smiling after when he's touching it in the kitchen and there's sort of a zoom on it. So I feel like with the building of Madame Butterfly and having it like mirror Madame Butterfly going to like the other ending is sort of jolting. Maybe. It, it does have a certain catharsis, a certain escalation that has to go off. Uh, but yeah it's... I feel like he gets off sort of scot-free in that ending he, like yeah. the, the woman's gone he doesn't have to deal with her anymore he doesn't, he doesn't have to even worry have about... to be a murderer he doesn't have to worry about the pregnancy and like his wife is is kind of fine with him yeah um so yeah that's all that all is foreshadowed earlier but then preview audiences didn't like that Alex was not brought to justice so they did a reshoot of the ending um, the decision to reshoot uh, garnered mixed reactions from the cast and crew. Director Adrian Lin initially disliked the idea, but agreed to it after Paramount uh, executives offered him $1.5 million. And okay. Archer, when she learned of the news, she was flabbergasted and immediately burst into tears. Glenn Close was staunchly opposed to the idea and even refused to take part in it. 
Um, according to producer Sherry Lansing, close felt sympathy for Alex, a woman battling mental illness and fiercely resisted cliches about another female psycho, which I agree with her. Michael Douglas, on the other hand, had no objection to it and felt that the reworked ending would help the movie. Close and Douglas actually got into an argument over the ending. Um, Glenn Close actually ended up relenting to do the ending uh, because she felt that she owed it to everybody who had worked on the movie to do the work for it. She said the original ending was a gorgeous piece of film noir. She kills herself and makes sure that his prints are all over the knife and he gets arrested. He knows he didn't do it, but he's going to jail anyway. But audiences wanted some kind of cathartic ending. So we went back months later and shot the ending that's in the movie now. Wild. Mm -hmm. I'm on her side. Yeah, I would have preferred the original ending. I think it really would have felt very uncomfortable to end it like that. And Um, I do think he just gets off too easily with that. And it focuses on like his family's portrait at the end and it's like yeah he just gets to the, he gets to go back to normal as if none of this had ever happened yeah except it, maybe boss will like you know not give him that promotion now didn't wasn't that the boss he went to being like hey help me help me oh i thought that was his friend yeah that was his friend the second time? monster is the boss because he goes to two separate men about this he goes to a police officer oh okay i was getting that guy confused yeah. with the guy who was his oh. boss but yeah, yeah, I feel like gets, he just everything gets to re wrapped up. I mean, his wife might have some passive aggression at him, but like everything's sort of wrapped up for him. It's like, oh, okay, like moving on with my life. That's true. Um, yeah. and I do think like it makes her so it is misogynist. It so makes her like, oh, she's the villain, she's paid, she's gone. And it's like it's a lot more complicated. Like her story is a lot more complicated than that. He does deserve to face some charges for the way he broke into her house and attacked her. And like multiple times broke into her house. Yeah. Well, yeah. And Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, right. Go ahead, Rebecca. He killed her and the baby. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't have to worry about like that whole aspect. Yeah, it bothers me. Um, Close actually suffered a concussion during one of the takes when her head smashed against the mirror during the reshoots. Um, after being rushed to the hospital, she discovered, much to her horror, that she was actually a few weeks pregnant with her own daughter. So um she, during the process of the reshoot, she developed eye and ear infections from being dunked repeatedly in the bathtub water for hours. To this day, Close said that watching the ending makes her uncomfortable because of how much she unknowingly put her unborn daughter at risk from the physically demanding shoot. Yikes. Yeah, it kind of makes it different. Like, the fact that she was actually pregnant, did not realize it, got a concussion, and then was, like, fake drowned for hours. Wow. Well... Allie, an incredible amount of trivia. I'm not surprised because there's this is such a uh, seminal movie in the genre. I'm not surprised it's got a storied history, but thank you for compiling all that. There was a lot of stuff that I left out too. So I know. There's, you could go on about this movie for hours. Uh, but I think for us, I think let's wrap it up by just going around the horn and saying whether or not you'd recommend it. I think I know, but let's see what you all have to say. Rin, let's start with you. Oh, absolutely. I would definitely recommend this movie. I would also recommend going and watching, even though I haven't seen it yet, I would recommend going and watching the alternate ending. Yeah, it is interesting. It's like fully shot, so it's worth it. Uh, Rebecca, how about you? Yeah, I agree. It's definitely worth watching. I think it's worth watching with a critical eye, like we all did. Um, Because I feel like the movie as presented isn't everything you'd want but it's still you know stunning and well plotted and the pacing is perfect and you know all the other things um but yeah i definitely recommend it 
Allie, we know we know what you're going to say. Yeah, I would definitely recommend this movie. I do think, yeah, the ending, I think, ends up kind of being sort of misogynist and sort of paints over how nuanced and complicated her actual story is. But I think Glenn Close is, like, fantastic in this movie. She turns in one of her best performances. It's, like, I think one of the best performances, like, in movies. And Iron Archer is also quite good. Uh, Michael Douglas is good, too, and the little girl yeah. is great. But um, everyone's great, and I think it's a really great movie. Agreed. Everyone's giving it their all. I would totally recommend this movie. There's just so much of it that is seminal to this genre. So if you like this podcast, if you like this genre, you got to check out Fatal Attraction. Um, Yeah, guys, I think we did it. I think Fatal Attraction, great movie, great podcast, great guests. Um, Rin and Rebecca, where can the people find you? What do you what do you want to plug? I'll start by plugging your awesome podcast. Thank you. Yes, we have a podcast called Ladies Get Action, where we talk about action movies. So if you like this podcast, it's pretty similar. Um, we're on a little hiatus right now, but we will be back in July with new episodes. And then you could find me on Instagram at Rebecca Ringley Casting. Excellent. Rin, you can how about find you? me on Instagram at Rin Olson as well. And we appeared on uh, their podcast, Ladies Get Action, in the episode about I am number four. So that is a, it is a movie. A movie I think I liked. I don't it's, know, but it'll stick with you. Everyone uh, go check that out. We're really, Ali and I are really proud of it. That was a fun episode. You can find uh, my writing entertainment rating on parade.com and you can find me at, at anal retentive, A-N-E-L-R-E-T-E-N-T-I-V-E on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me at Tyler McCarthy on Twitter and at USA Insider, NBC Insider and Sci-Fi. Uh, guys, this was fun. Thank you for appearing with us. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for coming. We'll have to have you back. Oh, and vice versa. Once we're back up and recording again, we'd love to have you guys back. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll close out as we always do with a special thanks to... A special thanks to Mallory Johns for our intro and outro music. And Alex Marcus, our producer. Music